Right. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all today. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Before I get into it, I just want to say uh, briefly about the class that I'm going to be leading on Wednesday nights, the Believe class. Those of you who may be uh, new here, not really knowing what that's about. Some people assume that it's, it's for either new believers or new members, but that's, that's not true. Um, if you are a new member of a new believer, it would be a great class for you to jump into, but it's really for everyone at no matter what level of spiritual maturity or church membership they're at. We spend the, the first part, I've actually extended it, I've, I've added some more stuff to it. The first part of that class, uh, really at least half, probably a little more now, when uh, what I call unlocking the Bible. Um, if the Bible ever seems confusing to you, you don't understand it, boring, a bunch of rules and, and, and instructions and things like that, come to that class because I'm going to show you how reading the Bible through the lens of the gospel makes everything make sense and brings it to light and makes it come alive and you encounter Jesus in anything that you read there. And so if that interests you, come and be a part of that. Um, it's one of the, the, next to preaching up here on Sunday mornings, I think that's probably the, my most favorite thing to do is leading people through that and watching the light come on. And so uh, come be a part of that if you haven't taken it um, or even if you have and you want to a refresher in it. Come. Um, all right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, a few years ago, we did a series going through the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, so I'm not about to start that again now, but there is something about the first chapter of this letter that I want us to look at today. Most of you have probably heard us talking about the church assessment that we have been doing for the last couple of months, uh, just kind of checking on the health of, uh, of this church and and, and where we are right now, and uh, why are we doing that? Well, for one thing, it's because I think it's a wise thing to do. I mean, for our physical bodies, we get health checkups every now and then, and Paul said that the people in a church function much like our physical bodies, and the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, and so I think it's wise to kind of get a, a health checkup every now and then. Now, I get that most of us don't go see a doctor unless something's wrong, right? Well, well, that's not why we're doing this one. There's nothing wrong that we're trying to fix or figure out. We just, um, it, it, well, here, here's the deal. Um, we are at a place in, right now where, as a leadership team, we feel like God is leading us into some, some new areas, new directions. Now that the building has been paid off, and we are no longer under any financial debt, we are at a place right now to be able to do some things that we haven't in the past. And so before we move forward in anything, we thought it would be wise to first just kind of take an, an assessment of where we are right now, make sure there's nothing that we need to address before we do start heading out into what God is leading. Kenny Thacker has been helping us with that, and he has been a tremendous help, and although we are not totally completed with that assessment yet, there have been some things that have come out that have been really helpful. The sermon today, the title of it, if you see in your bulletin there, is Church Assessment. 
but this sermon is not giving a report on the assessment that we've been doing for the last few months because, like I said, number one, it hasn't been fully completed, but I was reading in my own personal study recently, and I came across 1 Thessalonians, and the first chapter jumped out at me in ways that it hasn't before. Part of that, I believe, is because we have been doing this assessment, and we've been having a lot of conversations about what church should be uh, in light of the culture and where we see the culture headed. Conversations that revolve around are the methods that we have been used to and been doing for so long when it comes to church, are they going to still be effective in where how the culture is, is changing? So if we're looking for a definition or an example of what a healthy church is, it would be hard to beat the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And this is especially relevant for us because the church that existed in Thessalonica in the first century was in a culture that was very similar to the culture that we are living in in the United States right now. Thessalonica in the first century was a very self-centered culture. It was economic, economically prosperous because of its location and, and uh, trade that was going on there. It was a highly sexualized culture, and it was made up of many different religions and belief systems, yet the only belief system that was heavenly persecuted, would you guess, Christianity. Yeah, sound familiar? Yeah, like I said, very similar to our culture now. It was a difficult culture to be a Christian in, yet the church there absolutely thrived in spite of that. And so that should give us hope for the direction we see our culture headed today. After establishing the church there and, and setting elders in place to lead it, Paul leaves to continue his, um, his ministry. About two or three years later, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to just kind of check on the Christians there. And so Paul sends Timothy to do a church assessment. He returns to Paul and gives a report. And Paul writes this letter in response to everything that he has heard from Timothy. And so let's look at this together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're just going to read all 10 verses there. So I'm going to ask you to stand once more in honor of God's word as we read. He writes, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind <clears throat> your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything 
for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned from God from idols, turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, so thankful to be here today, God, with your people getting into your word. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, by your spirit, just guide us in truth. Lord, I pray that you would align our will with yours, that what's important to you becomes important to us. And Lord, our hearts would also beat for the things that your heart beats for. And so, Lord, would you come? We, we make ourselves available to you for that to happen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, what is a successful church? And really, I mean, using that word probably really isn't appropriate, but it just kind of reflects the mindset of, of American culture, success. I guess a better word would be what is a healthy church? What, 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 what is a church that, that's doing it right, that's doing what a church is supposed to be? Well, to be able to answer that, you first have to decide what the metrics are. What are the things that we need to look at and analyze that will tell us whether or not a church is healthy? Because that right there is key, because if your metrics are wrong, your whole assessment is going to be wrong. For example, let's say that someone wrote a book that became really popular that said that they had done this extensive study, and what they found was that the most successful churches in America were the ones with their walls and their sanctuary painted yellow. And so that became the thing, man. Churches with yellow walls are the most successful churches there are. And if people started believing that, what would happen? Well, every church would start painting its walls, and then they'd put ads out, you know, come to our church, we've got yellow walls. Well, you know what would happen then, right? Every church in town would start painting their walls yellow. And then there would become a debate over which shade of yellow was more successful and better than the others. And then the ad would be, come to our church because we have the yellowest walls in town. The yellow walls define the health of a church? Of course not. That's ridiculous. But the truth is, in American culture especially, we have used metrics to define the health and success of a church that are just as meaningless as yellow walls. There's really four main ones that people generally look at that decide whether or not a church is successful or healthy. The biggest, obviously, is numbers. Many assume that if, if, if a lot of people are going to a church, then they must be doing something right. And so the more people there are, the more successful the healthier that church is another thing that's often used as a metric is is the programs they offer how many how many different programs do they offer for people so many choices that people get to to choose, pick from and and it, outside of just sunday are they offering things during the week and and in the community and, and so it really boils down to this is a very cultural thing how busy are they because in our culture today, we have pretty much equated busyness with significance and importance. And I've talked about this before. You ask anybody, how are you doing? What's the first thing we say now? I'm busy. Boy, I'm busy. Just staying busy. 
And that's code word for I'm important. The busier we are, we think the more important we are. That's just kind of what's happened in our culture. And so we think if a church has got a lot going on, if it's busy, it must be pretty healthy. Another popular metric, of course, is music. Many determine the success or health of a church based on the quality and style of the music that is played there. And then the fourth one is a pretty big one, and that's just the pastor that leads the church because our culture is a cult of personality and celebrity. And so if a pastor, man, if he's got great charisma and charm and preaches good sermons and keeps people engaged and makes them laugh and, and he's popular outside of just the membership, if, if other people in the community and outside that, that membership really know him too, then the more popular a pastor, the more successful that church and so what if I described a church that had all four of those? Let's say I went out of town some, somewhere, and I, I came back, and I said, I visited this church. Let me just describe this church to you. This church is growing in numbers every week. They don't know how they're going to uh, have enough space with all the people that are coming. Um, it, they offer many programs. No matter what place in life you are or age, there is something there for you. It's got a great team of musicians. I mean, man, it sounded like they were professionals and the sound quality was just outstanding. And, and the pastor, man, everybody loves him. He, we laugh the whole time. And he's even got books that he has written and, and published now. He's a, a very popular pastor. Well, in the United States, if that's how you describe the church, 99% of the people would automatically assume that is a successful, healthy church. But is it really? Are those the right metrics to determine that? I would say definitely not. Now, I'm not saying that those four things are bad in and of themselves, not at all. All I'm saying is that none of those four things determine whether or not a church is healthy and doing things right because a healthy church can have all four of those things and an unhealthy church can also have all four of those things but to use any of those to determine church health would be just as meaningless as using yellow walls so what metrics should we use well i believe we see them right here in the first chapter first Thessalonians look again at verse 2 and 3 he said we give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ so Timothy comes back and he reports to Paul he said man the believers there in Thessalonica they have a lot of faith they love each other they love others and they are full of hope and Paul would have gone, yes, they're doing good. Man, they're still healthy. And so he commends them in this letter for those three things. And so it appears that those are the things that Paul is really looking at to determine how healthy this, this body of believers is. But can we say that, that those are the metrics that we should use just based on this one text? Well, fortunately, we don't find this just in this one text. Turn back to the letter he wrote before this in, in Colossians. In chapter 1, in verse 3 and 5, he said, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He mentions those three and talking about their status, faith, hope, and love. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. Well, there's faith and love, but what about hope? Well, just a few verses down in verse 18, he tells them that he is praying for them that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so that they will, quote, know what is the hope of his calling. And we see these things in in his other letters as well. I mean, these do seem to be the metrics that at least Paul used to determine how a church was doing. He even tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but now faith, hope, love abide in these three said these are the three things that are most important the problem though with using faith hope and love as metrics to determine church health they're not easy to measure are they i mean those other four they're they're easily quantifiable you can count how many people you can hear the music and the pastor i mean those are tangible things that that we can measure but faith hope and love not so much and so how would we know if these qualities are are strong in a church well first we would need to define what they are and so faith faith in what well based on the way that paul uses it in each of his letters it's faith in the finished work of jesus it's truly believing that jesus is enough and there is nothing that you have to do in order to gain from God what Jesus hasn't already fully secured for you through his death and resurrection. And so if you find yourself still trying to make deals with God, God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll do that for you, or think that there are things that you've got to do, you've got to go the extra mile, you've got to get God's attention in order for Him to, to move in some way on your behalf or bless you in some special way, then that shows that your faith is not very strong. Being strong in faith also means trusting God in every circumstance. It, it means that you really believe that He truly is working all things out for your good and his glory no matter how bad those things may look and you're able to rest in and be at peace with that in any situation it means you're not shaking or freaking out whenever surprising unexpected things happen but 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 you know you're resting and trusting that God's got this and he is in control no matter what I think love's a little easier to identify I mean you can pretty much tell whether or not love exists among a group of people paul's not talking primarily about our love for god it is our love for god expressed by the way that we love others are we favoring and submitting to one another do we think of others as more important than ourselves are we willing to step outside of our comfort zone and make someone feel welcome and and accepted how willing are we really to, to pray for someone right there on the spot who we know is, is struggling? Or how quick are we to, to meet a need that we are capable of meeting when we see 
someone having one. And then hope is simply defined as confident expectation of the future. Hope means that we know and we believe that for the unbeliever, life in this world is the best it will ever be. But for the believer, life in this world is the worst it will ever be because the best is yet to come. Our hope is also shown in what we invest in, our time, our resources, our money. Do we invest more in material and temporary things? Or are we investing, as Jesus said, in treasures in heaven? Our level of hope is reflected by whether or not we invest more in this temporary, short existence, or we're investing in eternity. And so a healthy church based on biblical metrics rather than cultural metrics is one where the people have a lot of faith, show a lot of love, and are full of a lot of hope. But these three aren't the only things that we see that tell us that the church in Thessalonica was healthy. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So he's saying they were imitating Paul and the Lord, and then they became an example to others. What is that? Discipleship. You know, if you were to ask several people to define discipleship, what does that mean? You're probably going to get several different definitions. In American culture, we tend to equate discipleship with, with Bible study. We think it has more to do with education and information than anything else, but biblical discipleship has everything to do with relationship. Biblical discipleship has three parts to it. There's you, and then there's someone more spiritually mature than you that you are learning from, and someone else who is learning from you. Every believer, every follower of Christ should be able to name someone in each of those places. If you can't name someone more spiritually mature that is pouring into and speaking into your life, or name someone else that you are pouring into and speaking into their life and teaching them, that I'm telling you right now, you are missing out on the life that Jesus has called us to as disciples. And you cannot expect to grow very much at all in spiritual maturity. Because God designed for our growth to happen through discipleship like that. Not just through retaining information. What else do we find in a healthy church? Look at verse 8. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. Even though they knew they were going to be persecuted for it, they still shared the gospel with others. And I don't believe Paul is talking about they were going door to door in some like evangelism explosion program or, or something like that. Because he says, in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. These people fully trusted that everywhere they went was a divine appointment. 
they realized and had the mentality that they were ambassadors, representatives of God's kingdom, and which meant no matter where they were, in the workplace, in the marketplace, at home, wherever they went, they were to represent God's kingdom and expand it through the proclamation of the gospel. And so a healthy church is one that is making the sound of the gospel not just in their services on Sunday morning, but especially when they leave those services and go out into the world. There's one more thing we see here that I want to point out. Look at verse 9. It says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. The city of Thessalonica was made up, like I said, of many different religions, and most of them were religions of, of idol worship. And so all over town you could see these statues, these, these idols that, that everyone worshipped. Greek mythology was, was big then, and, and so you had all these statues of them there and all kinds of other false gods in, in the town and in the homes. We don't have idols like that here in our culture, but we do have idols, just the same. And I believe what has become probably the biggest idol, the idol whose altar we worship at in American culture, is the idol of comfort and convenience. Comfort and convenience. I mean, if you think about it, those two things are what we base most of our decisions on. Is it going to be comfortable? And is it going to be convenient? Anything that would prevent our comfort and our convenience, we tend to stay away from. And that's unfortunate because the gospel is anything but comfortable and convenient. Following Jesus is in this world sure isn't. I mean, what did he say that we needed to do in order to follow him? Deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Does that sound comfortable and convenient? Not at all. But I do know that it's worth it. The idols of comfort and convenience, I believe, are one of the main threats to a healthy church. Because those are the two things that keep us from being discipled and discipling others. They keep us from making a concerted effort to want to get to know others and form relationships and get involved in someone's life. I mean, true discipleship, doing life with other people, it's messy. People are crazy. <laughs> it's not comfortable and convenient. But it's worth it. But those are the things that keep us from ministering to those in need and using our gifts to the benefit of the church body. But what we see here is that in a healthy church, the people there turn from the idols of the culture to serve the living and true God. And so these, I believe, are the biblical metrics that determine church health. Do the people there Exhibit faith, hope, and love. Is discipleship, real discipleship happening there? Is the sound of the gospel being made outside of those church walls? And are they turning from the idols of the culture? 
Those are the things that we should be most about if we want to be a healthy biblical church. What's really telling about this text isn't just the things that Paul says, but it's also the things that he doesn't say. You notice, in commending them for the health of their church, he doesn't say anything at all about how many people were coming, how many programs they were offering, how good their music sounded, or how great their pastor was. He doesn't mention anything at all about a pastor. And you know why? It's because a biblical church looks a lot different than an American church. I mean, let's start with the building itself. First of all, Christians in the early church, I mean, most of you know, they didn't gather together in one building. They met in each other's homes. The church in Thessalonica, like every church in the New Testament, was a church of house churches. And so when Paul wrote this letter, it would go to one house where the believers gathered there and be read, and then it would be passed around to the other houses that believers were meeting in. There's nothing wrong with having a church building, I don't think. (laughs) But I'm telling you, we could do better at meeting in each other's homes. What keeps us from doing that? Comfort and convenience. There's something about that. There's something about believers being together in one another's homes that I believe God wants us to experience and to be a part of because there are things that happen in those homes that do not, that cannot happen in a large corporate gathering like this. There is a deeper level of intimacy, relationship, ministry, discipleship, and spiritual growth that occurs in a home that does not occur in this type of setting. But the buildings that we do gather in corporately, the majority of them here in the United States are are set up in a way that reflects the culture more than it reflects anything in Scripture. I mean, what dominates American culture today? Entertainment. Think about it. Most sanctuaries of churches, including this one, are set up for a show they just are I mean you got all this seating out here for a big group of people who are all facing the same direction what are y'all facing a stage you got a music team that comes out and plays music and everybody's just hoping their favorite song is going to be played that day and then the rest of the time they listen to one person preach a message And then everybody leaves that message and goes home and over lunch, what are they probably talking about? They're probably critiquing the things that they liked and didn't like about their experience in that service, much like we do a movie that we've just seen at the theater. Now, listen, I'm not saying that what we do on Sunday mornings is wrong, but what I am saying is what we do here on Sunday mornings like this should not be the main event of church. But we do tend to spend our time, our resources, our budget. Everything is poured into this. And so we treat it like the main event, which biblically I don't believe it should. It doesn't mean we do away with it. It just means it's not the main thing. 
Why do I say that? Because if being a part of a church means what I just described, and that is the extent of anyone's involvement, if they say, I'm part of a church, I go to a church, and that, that's the extent of it right there, you cannot expect to grow very much in things like faith, hope, and love. You just can't. Because those three things do not grow and increase in us by singing songs and listening to a sermon. And yeah, you can learn some things here, and that's good, but being a follower of Jesus is about a whole lot more than just learning stuff. Jesus didn't come and die in our place so that we could be entertained and informed once a week. He came to make us a part of a whole new way of living. A whole new way of living. And it's a way of living together. Together is the key. God did not design spiritual growth to flourish in the environment of a large gathering or as an individual. He designed it to flourish in the environment of community, deep relationships with other believers. You see, I can stand up here every Sunday for an entire year and tell you everything I know about faith. But you won't really grow in faith very much until you actually see it lived out in someone that you are relationally attached to and doing life with. And you won't know how to walk in that faith yourself very well unless there's somebody who comes alongside you and walks through that with you in those situations where that faith is needed the most. That's how it begins to grow in us, not just by learning about it with some information. Same thing with hope and love. Those things develop in us through relationship and doing life with others. Y'all notice the, the changes that are taking place out there in the foyer? It's not finished yet, but listen, I, I know that not everybody is going to like those changes out there. I mean, the different colors and styles and all that stuff. Heck, you can't even get people in the same family to agree on decoration changes. I know some of you are wondering, why in the world did we need to change it anyway? It was fine just the way it was, right? And I know people just don't like change in general, so I, I get that. But those changes that we're doing out there in that foyer are about a whole lot more than just aesthetics. We wanted to change that foyer to reflect and facilitate what we are about, what we need to be about. Things like relationship and community, sharing our hearts, face-to-face -face interaction. Being a part of a church is supposed to be more like being in a living room than a concert hall. And so when people walk through those doors, we want that to be the very first thing that's communicated. And I love it because someone this morning, I said, did you see the changes out there in the floor? And they said, yeah, man, I just made me want to hang out back there. I'm like, good, then it's doing what the purpose is. Yes, y'all hang out back there and talk to each other. Get off your phones. Don't text each other back and forth sitting in those chairs, but actually look each other in the eye and start sharing your hearts. And I know you younger generation, you, you're probably getting a panic attack just thinking about that, right? <laughs> but that's real relationship. That's what God has called us to. Another element of American culture that affects the way that we view church is consumerism. We are a culture of consumers. 
where the customer is always right. And so we tend to view church primarily as what we get out of it and how it can meet our needs. But you read something like this in 1 Thessalonians 1 and you just get a sense that that is not how these people were. I mean, you just know they didn't come together thinking of what can the church do for me. They came with the attitude of what can I contribute to everyone else? How can I use my gifts that God has given me for the betterment of the whole body? Because I can promise you this right here. You will get far more fulfillment from church when you start viewing it more as to what you can contribute than what you can consume. If you come more to give than to receive, you'll be far more fulfilled with your church experience. When Danny and I were over in Israel a few years ago, we got to go to the Dead Sea. It's pretty neat. He actually floated out in it. I just waded out to my ankles because it was cold. And I hate cold water. It's a PTSD thing from back in college that I'm not going to get into now. But I, I hate cold water, and so I wouldn't get it. Danny was floating in it. He was floating because it's full of salt. They call it the Dead Sea because there's absolutely nothing that can live in it. And you know why? You probably do. You've heard this. It's got one river coming into it and nothing going out. And so that water just sits there and becomes stagnant and salty. I truly believe that God intentionally created the Dead Sea to give us a picture of what life is like when all we do is receive and receive and receive and never give. We get stagnant. There's no life within us. Real life happens, vibrant life happens when we look for ways to let out what we receive. God designed us to get the most joy, most fulfillment out of life when we start living for someone else rather than just ourselves. Now, I will share one thing that we have learned that, that came out of that survey, you know, that online survey that we asked y'all to do. Thank you for those of you who did participate in that. But one of the questions or statements in that was, I'm willing to serve in this church. A whopping 88% of you said yes to that. That is awesome. But yet 68% of you said the ministry in this church is done by a small group of people. And so what that tells us is that there is a disconnect between willingness and opportunity. That's a great thing to know. Those are the kind of things that we want to be aware of, things that we can address. And it means that either, A, we are not communicating opportunities to serve very well, or we are not making those opportunities available. Good thing is that's an easy fix. And it's something that we are working on to, to improve already. Bottom line, folks, is this. God chose you and saved you for something much bigger than just yourself and your own salvation. You know, as I talk about this, some of you may be thinking, well, I don't really have anything to contribute. I don't have gifts to give. Nobody really needs me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You know how I know that? Because of what Paul said to this church in verse 4. He said, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. If you are in Christ, it's because God chose you. 
And if he chose you, he has equipped you, and he has gifted you with things that his family needs, that others need. He has put those things inside of you, and the enemy wants to convince you that that's not true, that you're not good enough, that you've got nothing to contribute. But I'm telling you right now, God did not just save you from something. He saved you to something. He made you an important, vital part of his body, his family, and he created a specific place in it where you belong. You may have felt like you haven't really belonged to anything else in life, but I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, there is a place where you belong in his family, in his body. You were specifically designed like a jig piece of a jigsaw puzzle, and there's a place in God's family that's shaped just like you. And he wants you to find that, and we want to do everything we can to help you find that. So don't view church as a way for you to be entertained. View it as a way for you to be used by God and as an opportunity to start forming relationships with other believers where you are truly known yet still fully loved. Find your place and get to know others. Only then will you begin to, your growth begin to accelerate in the things that matter most. I believe God is getting ready to do something big in this church body, and he is inviting us to get in on it. I don't want to just continue worshiping comfort and convenience to where we just miss it and get stuck just doing the same old, same old as we've always done. Anybody else? Yeah, I hope so. Let's pray. God, that's what we want. We don't want to miss you. We want what you want. And so, Lord, I pray that we would get this. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, this morning, God, we would turn from the idols of comfort and convenience to pursue whatever it is that you are calling us to do. Maybe it's just coming and get involved in one of these groups on Wednesday nights. Lord, just, just start off with that. Maybe it's going and just praying with somebody that we know is struggling right now. Or maybe it's just going to somebody and saying, I need help. I'm dying inside. Being transparent, being honest about what's going on in our lives, Lord, that's not comfortable. But I know you work so good through those things. So Lord, again, I pray that you make our desires, or your, make your desires our desires. What's important to you, make it be what's important to us. And Lord, whatever you're doing, whatever you're wanting to do with this church body, we say, yes, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise team's going to lead us in worship for a little bit they're not up here to entertain you they're here to lead you in participation participating together in worship and as they do that i would encourage you just to to add if you don't know what your gift is if you don't know the things that you have to contribute ask god he'll tell you 
He's a good father. He doesn't want to hold those things back from us. He'll tell you. Ask somebody else. He'll tell you through one of them. Sometimes other people can see things in us that we can't see. God intentionally does that because it forces us into those relationships. There's idols that God is asking you to turn from. Lay those down. If you need prayer specifically, some of us will be down here on these front rows here, the leaders of the church. We'd love to pray for you. But don't leave yet because after this time of ministry, we're going to take part in communion together. And uh, it's going to be good. But let's all stand as we worship him.